0: Good morning from the newsroom of the Financial Times. Today is Monday, July 1st, and this is your FT News Briefing. U.S. President Donald Trump says North Korea and the U.S. would start working to resume nuclear talks after meeting with dictator Kim Jong-un on Sunday. The U.S. and China eased trade tensions at the G20 summit, but outside commentators are a bit more cautious about the outlook. Angela Merkel's compromise plan to fill the EU's top positions has hit a wall of opposition. And HSBC tells China it's not to blame for the arrest of Huawei's Meng Wang I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Good to see
1: you again. I've never expected to meet you at this place.
0: On Sunday, Donald Trump made history as the first sitting U.S. president to visit North Korea. Mr. Trump crossed into the demilitarized zone that divides the Korean peninsula for his third encounter with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un. Ed White is the FT's sole
1: correspondent. He has more on the meeting. This meeting came about in an unorthodox fashion. Donald Trump sent out a tweet from Japan where he was at the G20 summit in Osaka. He said that he was going to go to the demilitarized zone on Sunday, and that's the area separating North and South Korea, and that Kim Jong-un could meet him there if he liked. We weren't sure whether this was actually going to happen all through Saturday and then well into Sunday. There was obviously behind-the-scenes talks going on between the North Koreans and the U.S. and probably the South Koreans as well. But by around midday on Sunday, the word came that Kim Jong-un was going to go and meet the president at the DMZ for this quite historic meeting. So around mid-afternoon on Sunday, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un met at the border, separating North and South Korea. They shook hands, and then Donald Trump walked into North Korean territory, becoming the first sitting president to do so. They then crossed back into South Korea, met briefly with Moon Jae-in, the South Korean president, and spoke quickly with reporters there as well. Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un then went behind closed doors for a private bilateral meeting, which then lasted for nearly an hour, which was a lot longer than what most people had expected this whole encounter to be. When they came out, Donald Trump spoke again with the media and he said that this had been a legendary and a historic day, but he also announced that the working-level talks between North Korea and the US would resume over the next two or three weeks, and that was quite a major announcement that would potentially see uh, negotiations over North Korea's nuclear program get back on track. These are the talks that have been stalled since the last major summit between the two leaders fell apart in Hanoi back in February, so potentially now moving into a period where at least negotiations between the two sides over North Korea's military threat and over the U.S.-led economic sanctions on North Korea, those discussions are potentially now going to be back underway.
0: Mr. Trump and Chinese President Xi Jinping met on the sidelines of the G20 meeting in Osaka on Saturday. Both leaders agreed to resume trade talks. And Mr. Trump said he would not put more tariffs on Chinese goods while these negotiations continued. He also softened his stance on the Chinese telecoms company Huawei. The FT's Beijing bureau chief, Tom Mitchell, has more on some of the progress made at the summit in Japan.
2: This year's gathering of G20 leaders in Osaka, Japan, managed to produce some good news for a change, most notably an agreement by U.S. President Donald Trump and his Chinese counterpart, Xi Jinping to once again suspend trade hostilities as they formally resumed talks aimed at ending the year-long trade dispute between the world's two largest economies. The European Union Mercosur, a South American trade bloc encompassing Brazil, Argentina, Paraguay, and Uruguay, also finally concluded a free trade agreement after 20 years of negotiations. And while the communique at the G20 did not criticize the rise of trade protectionism, which would have been interpreted primarily as a dig at the trade policies of the Trump administration, it did agree on the need to shore up the World Trade Organization's dispute settlement system, which is currently in crisis because of U.S. refusal to appoint judges to the global trade body.
0: World leaders pronounced themselves content with the outcome, but commentators weren't so optimistic. Chief economist at Unicredit Eric Nielsen said the risk of an abrupt downturn because of trade frictions was now lower but that relief created at the G20 was likely to be temporary. He also predicted the global economy would slow further. A plan that would have filled the EU's top positions ran into fierce opposition yesterday. During the G20 meeting in Japan, German Chancellor Angela Merkel helped broker a joint proposal between France, Spain, and the Netherlands. It put forward Dutch socialist Frans Timmermans as the nominee for the European Commission presidency. And it would have handed the European Parliament presidency to Manfred Weber, the European People Party's candidate. But Ms. Merkel's center-right allies in the EPP balked at the idea of a socialist taking Brussels' most powerful job. In the European Council, Mr. Timmermans is strongly resisted by Poland, Hungary, and the Czech Republic. EU leaders have already had two inconclusive summits to pick the slate of politicians to lead the Commission, the European Council, and the European Central Bank. HSBC is trying to convince China that it's not responsible for the arrest of Huawei's finance director. Meng Wanzhou, the daughter of Huawei's founder, was arrested last December in Vancouver, Canada. Sources tell the FT that since then... HSBC has been working with Chinese officials and launched a lobbying effort to distance itself from the diplomatic row. Ms. Meng is out on bail in Canada. Lawyers are trying to stop her extradition to the U.S., where she faces charges of bank and wire fraud. The indictment also alleges that the Chinese telecoms company conducted business with Iran, breaching U.S. sanctions. HSBC provided information that helped U.S. prosecutors — build a case against Ms. Meng and Huawei. Sources tell the FT that HSBC executives have told Chinese officials that the bank had little choice but to cooperate with the U.S. Justice Department's investigation. In 2017, HSBC was operating under the supervision of an independent monitor appointed by the U.S. Department of Justice in 2012. That was after the bank was fined $1.9 billion for breaching sanctions and helping Mexican drug cartels launder money. A source told the FT that HSBC described the situation as, quote, incredibly sensitive for the bank. HSBC generates nearly 75% of its profits in Hong Kong and mainland China. The bank terminated its relationship with Huawei in 2017. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. Today we'll be watching Vienna, where oil ministers are set to meet. They'll be discussing whether to continue with OPEC's production cut policy. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news.
2: Support for this
0: podcast and the following message come from Coriant.